Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club, the first Horror and Lit Club episode for for, for the, the new year. It's 2021. I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. We have a new president. Uh, there's a new year. Hopefully soon I will be allowed to go get drunk in bars again. I think technically I'm allowed to, but we don't do it. <laughs> Much, much to the chagrin, probably of our of our local business owners, uh, we we do not go and get and get shit faced at their fine establishments as once we used to. Which I like, I have, I have like so much extra money now. Like not like I'm like I'm rich or anything, but I have noticed that when you don't uh, drink out in a bar at least two or three times uh, a month, if not more, you 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 tend to accumulate. Or at least retain, I suppose, uh, more more overall wealth. As a perpetually broke person, that it, it's <laughs> it's a large sum to me. It'd probably be nothing to most people. The difference between a ham sandwich, I guess, and nothing. But how how are you guys out there? I hope I hope you're all doing fine. Christmas break is over. I am I am recovering. I I feel like you know I'm I'm just in that spot. I'm in my mid thirties or at least approaching my mid-30s, where I am just recovering constantly. <laughs> I've been on my back foot for, for years now, and um, I guess just a permanent stumble is, is just where I live. That's, that's the case. Been watching not too, too much new stuff, you know, kind of just sticking to the oldies. Uh, we, I, I just finished watching the Fargo uh, series, which, you know, deserves its own little bit of talking about, I, I feel like. That, that show is definitely by far way better, way, way better than I ever thought it would be. And I thought it was going to be good because I heard a lot of good things about it. Seasons are all different. If you guys don't know about Fargo, it's a, it's a show on FX based on the movie of the same name from, from back in the day. I think I might have already talked about this on, on previous episodes because I was watching it all throughout the, uh, the beginning of winter. It's based on the Coen Brothers movie of the same name from the 90s or, or whenever it came out. I'm pretty sure it was the mid to late 90s. It takes place in multiple different times. 2007, 2010, 1977, I think, and 1950. There's different episodes each time. Or different, there's different characters. Uh, a lot of them don't have any relation whatsoever to the other seasons and you know there's just the occasional crossover character and uh, even their crossovers aren't like you know no one's like hey you're that legendary blah 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 usually it's someone that's there that only the audience can recognize 
we just finished up the uh, fourth chapter, which doesn't, in, in the last, it's the most recent last season, which I think just finished airing not too long ago. But it was definitely the weakest of the seasons by by a solid margin, and it sucks too because it followed the best season, <laughs> followed right on the heels of what was by far the best season of 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 that show, and pretty much one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen. I don't want to talk about it. I'll let you guys. I'll let you guys watch that. I, I just I just want to strongly recommend Fargo. I'm going to try to not make this episode too too long. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to rein myself in here. Just a little bit. I've been, uh, I've been, I've been working a lot lately, and just kind of stretching myself, maybe a bit too thin. <laughs> I'm trying to finish writing a whole novel. I've got uh, about forty thousand words left. I'm going to try to get that out in the next two to three weeks. <laughs> uh, but even for even for me looking at it, I'm just I get tired <laughs> just thinking about it because uh, I've got to I've got to hold the story. And uh, and finish writing a completely different one in the uh, months that remain between now and July, so that I can get that pushed out instead of instead of what I'm doing now, which shouldn't be fine, because I don't I don't write things when I write them. I mean, I kind of do, but the uh, the writing process, and I feel like people need to tell th- this needs to to matriculate. I probably talked about it before, but it really does need to matriculate out into the uh, the greater creative sphere. Don't sit down every day and type 2,000 words. That's the stupidest fucking advice you'll ever get from anybody. I I wouldn't tell you to practice guitar by just sit down every day and play for two hours. Like, that's dog shit advice. That's advice for people that don't want to give advice to to folks or, 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 or advice for people that don't actually want to improve their craft at all. Tyler, what do you mean? That's a very that's a very gross sentiment that you just put out there considering the great, the legendary James Updike said that every day, no matter what, he sat down and write, wrote two pages. Yeah, and uh, James Updike's books are fucking boring, all right? <laughs> you should be writing, quote-unquote, all the time. Just always be writing in your head. Think of your stories. Think of what comes next. What, what would be interesting? Gather stuff off the ground, as you walk around your neighborhood and, and put it in there, you know, fill your head full of what ifs and then, and then work through them like chess problems. Uh, the way that chess people work on, on their craft is probably one of the best ways I've seen people practice for stuff because obviously they play scrimmages and they play matches and stuff. But when you're a chess player and you're playing chess at the highest level, that doesn't really teach you. You get what I'm saying? Like you'll learn from it because you learn from everything, but it's not going to improve your overall chess game to lose in a professional match. Maybe you will a little bit, maybe you won't, and you'll you'll figure some stuff out about it. But the real practicing for chess comes in the the months after that, where you where you break down the game over and over again in your head and you and you replay through chess problems and you, you, you read about different conundrums that are related to the sort of play that you did. That sort of stuff is more valuable to your overall skill. I wouldn't tell a guitar player to just, just sit down every day and play for two hours. You'll, you'll never progress. It should be like, hey, practice scales. Or, or you, should, you should every day for like 15 minutes 
kind of just strum around a little bit and like get yourself warmed up and then, then go through a routine. What you should really tell people is establish a routine. That's, that's my thing. For writing, which is such an oddly time-dilating practice where you have, you know, you have to put out at least whatever, 40 hours of work to get 40 pages or, or in my case, about 80, honestly. I, I write about 1,000 words an hour. 500 words-ish is about one page in, in, in typical type in a word processor. So whatever. I write one hour, I can get two pages. So if I want 20 pages, I write for, what, 10 hours or so? And 20 pages is about a chapter for me in this thing that I'm going and you do that four times, so whatever, 40 hours. See how it's work. That's typing, though. I've been thinking about the story nonstop. Typing doesn't have fucking anything to do with the story creation. It, it's technical. You know what I'm saying? Um, sitting, telling somebody to sit down every day and just, just do it is a great way to churn out trash. Like, what, what were you going to fucking make? Maybe you have the ability to just sit down and from nothing summon up wonderful, whole wonderful worlds. But generally that doesn't work. That's why people get writer's block, just sitting down to write. Like, you're not fucking inspired. If you want to learn how to write, go outside. Look at shit. Make things up about stuff you see and then embellish and, 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 and change stuff from there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, even Michelangelo had to have human models to draw on. You know, you, you, you can't usually have uh, somebody just draw a human body perfect, toe to head, looking at blank paper. And if they do, they're at the absolute apex, the absolute apex of their craft. That's wild. That's very impressive to me. Um, and, and even if they're doing that, they're still drawing on probably the hundreds and thousands and millions of fucking models they've seen. Or in certain cases, there's, there's people with, uh, with, with mild brain disorders whose savantism can let them do that. But I digress. If you sit down every day and you try to just force 2,000 words out of yourself, it won't fucking work. It's, you, you have to have the story. So that's just typing. Just type. I, I really need to get that out there. There's a difference between writing and typing, and you're always writing in your head. Story creation is, you know, what you're really doing. Narrative construction, that's what you should be focusing on. What would this character be doing? You know, how, how is this character, if this character was just sitting in my house right now instead of out in the, out in the world that I made for them, you know, how would, they, how would they feel? Would they be comfortable? Would they be a domineering presence? Would they try not to be seen? Would they be confused that they're suddenly here? Would they be comfortable with that fact? Would they apologize and leave because they don't know what else to do? Work through chess problems like that in your head so that when you sit down, you can just type. If you're bad at typing, sit down and type for two hours a day. That's great practice. But you still don't just randomly type shit. <laughs> get, get online and start, like, finding, uh, I know an old practice from when I was in high school is find some sort of book or something like that and literally look at it and, and type things from it. You know what I mean? If it can be a cookbook, it's, it's actually the more technical it is, the better, because it'll help you find weird keys. If you type up, like, a, a Wikipedia article, it won't work as good as if you try to write up, like, a technical manual 
It's going to be boring no matter what, but the technical manual is going to have, you know, bizarre punctuations and numbers and stuff. Numbers are hard for people. I digress. Anyway, I've been working a lot. (laughs) So I, I don't have a lot of time for side projects and other other things people have uh hit me up and been like hey we should collaborate i'm like i can't man i can't i can't fucking work with anybody else right now i have i have all of these plans that i can't really execute on if i was making a ton more money support the patreon if you want me to do more stuff because if i could get to a point where i can offload certain uh minor aspects of the creative process on people things like just basic trim editing and, 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 and nonsense like that. Social media stuff, God. I would, have, I would have enough time to do other things. So movies, video games, things like that. I will move on now. So, um, yeah, I haven't really been, really been watching too, too much new stuff. New season of Drag Race is on. That's great. But uh, on to, actually, let me fucking talk about <laughs> Drag Race real quick. Just as a quick aside, I don't know if anyone watches this, but I've been extremely disappointed with the way that Drag Race started this season. I don't like the whole pork chop thing and, uh, and, and breaking some poor drag queen's heart because she thought she was getting kicked off the competition before she even got to do a single competitive thing aside from one fucking dance against somebody. She's like literally there for 15 minutes. Elliot with two T's, my heart goes out to you. If you're out there in the ether, if you come across this, God bless but uh, my recommendations for this month are Blasphemous. That's the random horror recommendation. It is a Spanish video game. Uh, obviously, it's in English, but uh, it was developed by Team 17, um, developed by The Game Kitchen, and it was released, damn, 2019 isn't last year anymore. It was released in uh, September of 2019, 10th September. It's a Metroidvania game which makes it like Metroid, Super Metroid, or, or Castlevania, or uh, Hollow Knight, if you're more familiar with uh, more modern games. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Blasphemous has inspired a genre that has inspired me. 
And I don't think anyone else is in that genre except for, except for Tyler, who gets it. So Spain is an extremely, extremely Catholic country, I think. But you're not really allowed to criticize the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has extremely, an extremely heavy hand in politics and stuff. It kind of looms over the country. When the uh, Protestant Reformations sort of, not fixed, but altered the religious landscape of Northern Europe, Obviously, Spain would have been left out of that remaining Catholic. Spain's Catholicism sort of coalesced, and there was a conception of Spain called Black Spain, which is super, super Catholic and and ritualistic and violent and dark, and I fucking love it. And it's inspired in me a genre that I think of as Catholic punk, which needs to exist, and Blasphemous is the first Catholic punk game I've ever played, and it's fire. The Catholic Church was the church I grew up in, and it scares the fuck out of me to this day. Methodist churches, I've been in Methodist churches, I've been in Baptist churches, Protestant, variants, all all sorts of stuff, Pentecostals. Y'all ain't got nothing on real-ass Catholic churches. I think in recent times, the Catholic Church has pivoted as a national or an international entity has pivoted to making simpler, more mundane churches that are, are in the vein of Protestant churches and stuff. So they're squatter, you know, one room, maybe a maybe hundred total seats worth of pews. But I grew up in, in Cincinnati, which is really, really fucking Catholic, dude. We got the big churches. Uh, my, the church I had to go to growing up all the time was Holy Family. That's my, my family's home church for the gigantic Bell Clan that is spread out throughout all of eastern and western Price Hill. That, that church is covered in frescoes of martyrs, and the ceiling is like 200 fucking feet tall. I don't know how really tall it is. Probably more something like 80 or something, but it seems huge. It's got a big domed ceiling. There's just death everywhere just represented is just fatality throughout this place the stations of the cross are on the walls which if you don't know if you're not i don't know i I assume that protestants know it but i've been in your churches and you tend not to have them on the wall so (laughs) the stations of the cross are the 12 stations it's like the different moments while jesus was being tortured dragged through the streets humiliated and and thrown up on the cross to die. It ends up with him, I think, rising again is the last station of the cross is the resurrection. I used to have him memorized, but it's been a long time since I've been yelled at uh, <laughs> for the stations of the cross, so they're, they're, they're pretty much gone. The feeling you get from those places is grandiose and almost just, just shy of nightmarish, gothic, crushing feeling is, is wonderful, and it's evident throughout blasphemous that these people grew up in the Catholic church. A lot of the uh, villains in this just have and places and the names of people. They just sound like all of the biblical fuckos that you have to run across in the Bible. You know, Carlos of Antioch, actual people from this Deo Gracias, which is actually a real name in Spain. Uh, It just means thanks to God. The thing takes place in Custodia. He has a silent, uh, the, the main character is a knight that has a sword called mea culpa, which is, it, it, it's a Latin phrase meaning basically, like literally my bad, uh, my fault or my heir. 
but mea culpa is part of the uh, the lamentations. I can't remember the the hell what you're what you're supposed to call it, but when you're there's a part where you uh, you do a minor self flagellation in certain churches, and apparently they brought it back nationwide. And you say mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, my air, my air, my most grievous air. And uh, you kind of like tap yourself. So like seeing something called like the mea culpa in there is, is real. If you're a, uh, a high level super Catholic, if you're like next level Jesuits or the, uh, what do they call those, those goofballs with the little uh, circle crosses? I can't remember. Uh, some, of those, some of those types self-flagellate in secret, which if you remember the uh, scarlet letter is that shit. You whip yourself and actually while you're whipping yourself, you say mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. The point of that is actually to uh, make yourself bleed as Jesus bled in order to expunge your sins as he expunged his sins from the world while doing something a little bit more solid than just saying, I'm sorry. And I'll tell you what, if I had to whip my own shit like bloody, every time I fucked up, I probably would have done more of my homework when I was in school. <laughs> oh, but this, uh, this entire game just has that feeling writ large all over it. It's all just these big crumbling churches and these twisted religious creatures that, that attack you. And you can see in the game, not just that Spanish uh, black Spain vent of Christianity or Catholicism, but also the distaste that a lot of, uh, I guess you would say free thinking, Spaniards have for the Catholic Church. Guillermo del Toro comes to mind when talking about it because the the Catholic Church is still what it always has been to a degree. I I have to assume that Spain, being so close to the seat, the Holy See itself, the seat of power, would be more than likely still plagued with the uh, the corruption and political infighting in the Catholic Church, particularly if it's, if it's still strongly connected to the uh, governmental arm of, of a fascist government. That's, not, that's probably not much has changed there since the, uh, since the, uh, uh, the Middle Ages then in, in, in regards to that relationship. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the Catholic Church is known, very well known, even by its own adherence, to, uh, to be able to absorb vast amounts of wealth uh, ostensibly to you know redistribute redistribute to the poor in line with the teachings of Jesus, but they don't really do it. They just keep building like gigantic churches, and and you'll never you'll never find a badly dressed bishop. You'll never you'll never will. They're they're always clean. They're always clean, and you see that in some of the uh, some of the characters. You know skeletons draped in in fine silks and jewels being just held aloft by hands. That's actually a boss. And it's amazing. I have to say that the art style, to a degree, the music, I like the music, but Hollow Knight's music is so fucking good that it's ruined the music in almost every other game of this type for me. The music's pretty good. Um, and it's definitely on, it's definitely on, on point for it. The... Overall play of it is very lacking, but not in a bad way. I feel like they wanted this game to be a little bit more accessible and also super cool. The, the game has a very Doom vibe to it, too. 
where, where there is a lot of fancy executions and and sword combos and stuff, and there's a lot of blood and gore. In addition to all the uh, the beautiful set work and scenery and the the, the wonderful creature design that um, I don't find distracting to the game at all. But the the actual play of the game is pretty mediocre. I feel like they didn't really think it through or, or, or test play it a lot, or, or maybe they just kind of lost themselves in the creation of the game. Metroidvania games do not benefit from a combo system, typically, because the concept of Metroidvania games revolves around rooms, right? And it's always a 2D. So you have, you know, left, right, up, and down. And because of the rooms have to go up and down if you want the map to be interesting at all. You have to have a jump mechanic, right? And then you have to have jump and attack in the air mechanic. So you want to have a lot of verticality built into your character at all times, either in the case of spells or, or maneuvering options, you know, wall jumps, things like that. And a lot of the verticality for the character, your, 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 the silent knight, the penitent one is his name, just isn't there, especially in regards to attacking enemies. You have a, a vertical attack on the ground. You don't really have much of one in the air. You don't have down air attacks, which is kind of a pain in the ass for jumping over dangerous enemies and hitting them in mid-jump, which you know it can be extremely necessary and uh, is one of the things that actually makes Hollow Knight so intense is its ability to uh, attack basically 360 degrees. But what they have instead, and what they put a lot of work into, and I respect that, is a, a little combo system. So you can do one, two, three strikes, and then as you level up your sword, you can do a big energetic up slash. You can do a down strike that has a little laser beams come out of it. And you can do a forward strike that has a little dust up. There's a charge attack that you can't move while it's charging, and it takes about five seconds to, to fill up to any point where it can do damage. That's functionally useless. The bad thing about the combo system is a lot of the enemies have stagger. None of them have significant iframes to any degree where it'll render a com combo completely useless, but a lot of them have stagger, and so that'll knock them or not stagger, but knockback. And, and the knockback will put them out of the range of your combo, which actually does not move you across the screen very much. There's just one attack that is actually a very mobile attack, and it is a, a dash strike, and you'll end up using that. <laughs> it's a dash strike that also does like three times the amount of damage as a normal sword attack. So you'll end up using that for half the game because it can one-hit basically every mob type enemy in the game by the time that you've leveled up your sword to max. And like, I mean, it, it, it becomes part of your strategy through, for getting through every fucking area. The combos end up usually being a little bit more dangerous by the time you play against bosses than, than, they're, than they're really worth. I, I, I can't really think of many bosses where I just kind of slashed it out with them in a way where I was just like, oh, I feel good about this. There's also a uh, counter and combo system that is pretty mediocre to okay. You can't really do it in the air, which, that, that, like I said before, you spend a lot of this time of this game jumping, and if you can't do stuff on the ground that you can do in the air, it kind of sucks. <laughs> 
And uh, I really wish you could. There, there, there could be an argument, I suppose, that it's meant to be more grounded, but it really doesn't feel that way. It feels like that's all kind of deleterious to the overall fun of the game. And uh, I, I just wish that you could, you could do that stuff more often. There's a magic system where almost all of the spells are functionally useless once you unlock the two or three good ones. There's one that takes a million, like you literally have to get it at the end of the game by collecting 30 babies. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. And it is, uh, it's functionally worthless by that point in the game. I don't even think it would be very good near the beginning of the game either. But uh, that's, just, that's just me. There's also a DLC that was added to the game. That's pretty good. I would give it a uh, I would give it a three out of five stars because it's not it doesn't really add much. There's a few new areas, and there's technically six right or five some odd new bosses, but really they aren't new. It's one boss that has four different attack phases, and each attack phase of that exact same boss is its own boss hidden somewhere out through the already established world. So you fight sword variant, you fight bow variant, you fight axe variant, and I think you fight a lance variant. And then the last one is sword, axe, crossbow, lance, all in a row, but never together, which kind of, kind of lame, kind of lame, but you know, it is what it is. Um, ultimately, I would definitely say check the game out especially just to look at it, it's really not that hard. If you beat Hollow Knight, you will barnstorm this game in a few hours. It'll only take you about six or seven hours to beat, maybe maybe, maybe 10 if you really want to go in and try to do all of the collectibles. And there's tons of collectibles and, and, and little exploration benefits that you can get throughout the game. But in in general, it's not very, very difficult. There's a few bosses that are kind of ganky the last boss is a little ganky if you haven't figured out how to exploit the spell system in your behalf but but generally like yeah if you can if you can hang on any like basic game if you can play super mario brothers you can probably beat blasphemous it's really really simple but it's totally worth it just to see all the different character designs and the places i mean just some of the names of of the Places that you go, the actual level areas are amazing. Mother of Mothers is one. And one of them's called, literally it's called, Where Olive Trees Wither. <laughs> Fucking awesome. And uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's totally worth checking out. So if you get a second, go ahead, check out Blasphemous. I will leave a link to it in the description for this episode. Thanks a bunch. Between this recommendation and the next recommendation, I would like to remind you guys that we are on Patreon. Um, obviously, this little horn lit club isn't the best thing ever, but if you like the regular episodes and you, you just want me to make more stuff like that and, and, and have like a lot more time to make better, longer, and more complex media, movies even, not like, like a full movie, but like, like a short film, you know what I mean? Uh, support me on Patreon. Just consider uh, throwing me a few bucks the Patreon is patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. For just a dollar, you get early access to a bunch of the episodes. And for $5 or more, you get access to behind-the-scenes stuff. We send you merch at $10 or more. And uh, depending on how things go, I might, be, I might be sending you guys a very, very, very special thing uh, at the end of this year. But I've got I've to hop into InDesign and finish making it. <laughs> 
Also, if you just want to support us one time and have a little bit of a little bit of the show to hold in your hands, go to westsidefairytales.com slash merch and consider buying at things as small as a bookmark for just a few bucks. And we also have shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. You can buy a mug and drink your coffee out of it. It's, it, it, it's pretty great. We're going to hopefully start advertising that again very soon. I am so fucking tired. <laughs> uh, but yeah, please, please check all that stuff out. And if you agree with me, if you disagree with me on any of the things in this episode of the Hornley Club, if you, don't, if you don't like my appraisals of your favorite, least favorite, most favorite shows, if you think I'm a big dum-dum and you just want to let me know how big of a dum-dum I am, just hop, hop on Twitter, WS Fairy Tales. Hop on Facebook, join the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club on Facebook, which is a, a small group of like-minded individuals. We also have a Discord, which I will link in the description if you want to come and, and chat with me. I think I'm going to be focusing on the Discord more than the Facebook group if it gets some numbers because Discord's just better overall people actually see this shit if they want to facebook is weirdly archaic (laughs) now i don't even know how to describe it it just feels old to me and a little creaky so uh with that we're going to get into our second recommendation of the day a book i thought it was called willard for forever and it actually says willard on the spine of the book and as the title but it's actually called the rat man's Notebooks, a uh, 1968 novel by Stephen Gilbert. Stephen Gilbert is notable to me for having the saddest entry I've ever seen on Wikipedia. I will just read directly from it. It's his, in his death column. Well, I guess before that, I'll give you some background. He wrote six novels in his lifetime or at least published six novels. I think he wrote many more. They were called The Landslide, and that was uh, in 1943. Bombardier in 1944. Monkey Face, 1948. The Burnaby Experiments, 1952. Ratman's Notebooks, which is the only thing he's known for uh, in 1968. And The Bloody City, which was published in 2015, five years after he died at the ripe old age of 97. His death entry reads... Stephen Gilbert died at a nursing home at Whitehead, north of Carrickfergus, County Antrim, on 23rd June 2010, at age 97. Many of Gilbert's novels failed to see the light of day, and this has remained a source of regret for him. God, that fucking hurts. That's the most British shit I've ever heard in my fucking life. God damn, that hurts. <laughs> uh, but. The, the movie Ratman's Notebooks, or the book Ratman's Notebooks, ended up becoming the movie Willard, which was first adapted in 1971 for the screen and was so successful that they literally shit out a sequel as fast as they could in 1972. And that movie is called Ben, which was never really remade as far as I know. And in 2003, they remade this as uh, Willard with... Christian Glover as the as the lead. Willard is great. The Ratman's notebooks is, is 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 really good. So I don't want to spoil it too too much, but I feel like this entire 
story has been stolen so many times before. I, I remember this from, like, I can't even place it, but I remember a story, a horror short film, actually, about a guy that had pet cockroaches and betrayed his pet cockroaches, and they crawled inside of him or, or, or something like that, and he exploded from when I was very young. And I know I've seen countless, like, cartoons and, and, and small episodes of like law and order type crime procedurals where somebody, I think it's an X-Files episode even, where somebody has like a pet rat and they can sick it on people, you know, and, and, and actually it has like a bunch of rats with it. And it's just so awesome, this sort of Pied Piper feeling where this guy can send all these little vermin after you and, and you'll, be, you'll be slowly nibbled away to nothing. It's just awesome. And apparently this guy basically made it up uh, uh, forever ago. And that's, that's the story. Unless there's an even older version, if there is, let me know, uh, than, than 1968. But I feel like I've been seeing this in stuff for forever. So there's not too much I can really spoil. And honestly, even if I, if I gave you every plot point, you wouldn't, major plot point, you wouldn't be surprised. I'll leave them there for you to find. But the real good thing about this is the narration. It's just fucking wonderful. So it's all told from the first person perspective of a young man who's, I, I can't even recall. And actually, I, I believe he does not ever say his name in the book. So in some of the, in some of the adaptations, he has a name to some degree, I think. But yeah, in the book, he, he's, he's only really literally writing a diary. The intro to the plot is that he is the son of a fallen household. His father was a somewhat of a self-made man working in the shipping and warehousing industry to, to some degree. They have a very large and nice but badly kept home, not too far of a, of a walk or drive. From where he works now, he works for his father's former partner, who is an asshole, piece of shit named Mr. Jones. Obviously, you could just guess what happens to him. And his mother is just sort of around, and she's kind of a, a whiny windbag of a mom who, who wants him to, to stand up and, and basically do good for himself so he can take care of her the way his father did. The, the, the plot progresses as much as you would think. He befriends rats under, under sort of actually slightly deceiving circumstances that already kind of paint him out to be a little bit of a piece of shit. But he ends up befriending them and teaching them basic commands. And, and from there, the, the, the plot really takes off. He, he uses them to enrich himself and various other things. The book is fucking awesome. <laughs> it, it was much better than I thought it would be. I thought it would be kind of corny. Because I already felt so familiar with this story. Like, and in and, and on, all honesty, just the premise of it kind of tells you what's going to happen throughout it. I, I don't see there being a lot of people who would get more than a half a dozen pages or more into this book and not be like, well, that's how this is going to end. But, but like any good train wreck, you know, seeing it start to finish is just wonderful. The writing's amazing. And, uh, the character himself is just, he's just fun. The young man 
who is the main character, and the rats are great too, and everybody loves something with rats. I, I, I recommend it. I don't want to talk about it anymore or I'll ruin it. I do want to say you can, <laughs> you can completely avoid the movie adaptation. It is, it is not good, and it's very worrying. You get very worried about the rats in the movie. Uh, I, I think we looked it up and made sure that they were all well taken care of, and we found out that they were. But they, you, you, you get a little nervous. The film does not have faith in the book, and so changes a lot of interesting things and adds worthless side characters to it that really just uh, complicate it. And I'm talking about the early, the original film from 1971. I haven't, re- I haven't seen the Crispin Glover one, which is, I, I, I kind of regret because just seeing the previews for it make it look like just the penultimate early 2000s horror film. It's just got that, that feeling when everybody was trying to rip off Seven <laughs> and failing. Every, every, every horror movie that's kind of like this, that's not like just a, a, a stereotypical slasher, Something about it will always just look like a fucking Nine Inch Nails music video. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to watch that. If I end up watching it, I'm going to talk about it on on the YouTube. But yeah, that's that's my recommendation. Ratman's Diaries. You've got to check it out. I feel like even if you can't find a copy for insanely cheap, I got mine from a little free library in our neighborhood, and I'm going to hold on to it and keep it and cherish it and love it forever because it's amazing. Even if you can't find a copy there, I'm pretty sure, I think by now, there's, there's stuff, it's free. The, the period of time for it to pass into public domain is, has come and gone, I believe. So you should be able to just find it if you, if you want to. And I, I suggest reading it. It should only take you a few hours. It's extremely short. It's basically a long, a long story, a long short story. But uh, with that, I, I think I'm going to end the episode. Not very long today. Thanks for coming in, hanging out. I hope you're all feeling good. I hope you're, I hope you're in good spirits. I hope the, this new year is feeling good and solidifying. Um, if you're in the D.C. area, my heart goes out to you. What happened out there was an absolute tragedy. To all my friends in Nashville especially, my heart really goes out to you. I hope 2021 turns it around. If anybody from outside of the country doesn't know or if you don't pay attention, Nashville has gotten its fucking teeth kicked in at every goddamn opportunity this year. I can't even remember everything happening to it. But aside from just COVID, they got hit with a major tornado that devastated their downtown. It actually hit the city itself and and just ruined buildings and destroyed whole neighborhoods. And, you know, Ben Shapiro moved there permanently, which is bad for everybody. A lot of a lot of conservative commentators that used to make their home in the uh, the the liberal hellscape of West Hollywood are, are now are now flocking to uh, Austin, Texas, and, and Nashville, much to the chagrin of the fairly liberal people that live there. But you know they they like not paying taxes, and the the states are fucking trash. Tennessee's COVID cases are so high that we have a please don't go to Tennessee if you don't absolutely have to mandate in Kentucky. They don't want us to cross the border. Then, you know, on Christmas Day, they, some fucking QAnon psycho blew up a RV full of explosives in front of the AT&T building in downtown Nashville. So, you know, it's just, it's nonstop. I forgot things. I know there's more stuff that happened to Nashville, and I forgot. So if this lockdown, this quarantine ends, and you can go anywhere, 
go and, and spend your money in fucking Nashville if you need to go on a vacation. I know some of the people in Nashville are going to be like, no tourists, but they, they need the fucking cash. Go help them out. Help them out a bunch. And, uh, and with that, yeah, wrapping it up, wrapping it up. Check me out on Facebook. Support the Patreon. Go to Twitter and follow me and at me all of your, your complaints and concerns about my opinions. Tell me how fucking wrong I am. Tell me how much you just got. That, that 1971 adaptation of Willard is fucking amazing, Tyler. You're so goddamn stupid. What the fuck is wrong with you? Go ahead and go ahead and drop those uh drop those in my inbox. Yeah, look forward to the next episode coming out this coming Friday. And man, hopefully we are on schedule to release season six of the West Side Fairy Tales. Hopefully in October of next year, although it might end up coming out a little later than that because I am kind of I, I am I am behind. I would be ahead. I would be very much ahead, but I, I have to uh, I have to hip pocket a story that I've been writing because apparently it's too good for the podcast. So more than likely the uh, the story that I intended to be the sixth season anyway. So I guess it really all works out. It's just my fault for losing my mind and accidentally increasing a story that was supposed to be about thirty thousand words to about. Jesus, we're going on like 160K. <laughs> it's long. It's long. But that's that, that, that aside, I love you guys. Thank you so much for your support. And until next time, as always, stay safe out there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. 
months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night. Two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.